Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm here with my co-host. Um, Christmas, 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 Christmas. Thank you, <laughs> filmmaker and comedian Jason Harris, for that. In case you didn't realize it, well, it actually is is not quite Christmas as this is being released because uh, Christmas would have been a few days ago, but we are still in the Christmas spirit. Because Christmas is all around us. That it is. And so we are on our second of two Christmas bonus episodes for this year both looking back to our season on the films of 2003. We talked about Elf in a previous episode, and now we are talking about Richard Curtis's Christmas romantic comedy, Love Actually. Richard Curtis's beloved Christmas comedy, Love Actually. It is beloved. I mean, as as is Elf, and uh, both of these come from our audience choice poll from the 2003 season when we uh, had three options of beloved Christmas movies and uh, bad Santa was the one that ended up winning in our poll, but uh, quite a few votes for the others and, and all, as we are saying, uh, classics and beloved. So we figured for Christmas, we'd get to them all. Yeah, it was a tight race. And you know, the people who voted for this were passionate about this people who voted for elf were passionate about that. So it makes sense. It's our Christmas bonuses to the audience, but maybe not to ourselves. Eh, we enjoyed Elf, I think. Yeah, we enjoyed Elf. Yeah. So. And I, I don't mind this movie. We'll get into it. No, but, it's uh, fun. I'm I'm being hard, but I, you know, uh, but it's it's always fun to talk about a movie whether you like it or not. Absolutely. That's what we do here at Awesome Movie Year. Ah. We talk about movies whether we like them or not. <laughs> <laughs> new, new catchphrase. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. yeah. <laughs> So uh, Love Actually, regardless of whether you like it, uh, was a big hit right out of the gate. Uh, it grossed $246.8 million on its budget of between 40 and $45 million. It was nominated for the Golden Globe for Best Picture, Musical or Comedy, and lost to Lost in Translation, which is neither a musical nor a comedy. <laughs> right. Also nominated for Best Screenplay at the Golden Globe, I think. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I think I missed that. But there you go. So... Certainly a sensation right away. I mean, I remember people talking about this and going to see it and everything. So it's not one of these kind of, there's a lot of, I feel like a lot of holiday favorites, Christmas favorites. It takes a while of people watching them every Christmas for them to become those holiday favorites. But this one was, was popular really right away. Yeah, but uh, I do think like it's steamrolled into something so much bigger since then. This is you know, like you're saying, one of those that will always be played around Christmas and now has such a larger audience because of that. No, that's true. And I think this is 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 sort of uh, doubly popular because not only has it become this Christmas favorite, but as a romantic comedy, it's been really influential and it's it's permeated pop culture in the way that it approaches this romantic comedy stories, I think. You're right, Josh. Thank you. You're right. All right. Uh, so audiences, uh, you know, flocked to this movie. They gave it a, a B plus cinema score from the, the audience polling service, which was actually a little lower than I would have expected. This was a very crowd pleasing film. Um, critics, not as into it, but you know, reviews were mixed, let's say. And um, your, your boy Ebert loved it. Josh. Ebert, well, see, it's weird. Ebert gave it a three and a half out of four stars, which would make you think that he loved it. But his review is kind of measured. I mean, I feel like this is one of these, and it comes up sometimes where the critics who liked it are sort of like embarrassed to have liked it. And they're they're trying to hedge their bets. Hold, hold on one second. Do you have a movie like that? Because you've been a movie critic for so long. I mean, I try not to. I'm I'm sure if, if I had prepared that answer, I could have come up with something. But my general philosophy is you shouldn't feel embarrassed or guilty about, you know, there's no guilty pleasures. If you like something, then then own that you like it. So I've certainly, yeah, yeah I, I know something that you and I always have a contentious discussion of, which is the Charlie's Angels movies. Well, the first one I liked, you know, and the second yeah. one I didn't. I think you've kind of come around more towards mm, no, realizing that you're... opposite. I recently, I rewatched both of them for an article. Uh, maybe it was a couple years ago now, but uh, I loved them both again. Well, then you're still an idiot, Josh. <laughs> I'm glad we've established that. So, uh, but yes, Roger Ebert did give it a three and a half star rating, but 
uh, he was, uh, again, maybe a little conflicted on liking it. He said, Love Actually is a belly flop into the sea of romantic comedy. It contains about a dozen couples who are in love. That's an approximate figure because some of them fall out of love and others double up or change partners. The movie is written and directed by Richard Curtis, the same man who wrote three landmarks in recent romantic comedy, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, and Bridget Jones' Diary. His screenplay for Love Actually is bursting with enough material for the next three. The movie's only flaw is also a virtue. It's jammed with characters, stories, warmth, and laughs, until at times Curtis seems to be working from a checklist of obligatory movie love situations and doesn't want to leave anything out. At 129 minutes, it feels a little like a gourmet meal that turns into a hot dog eating contest. Well, so in certain ways, yeah, he hit the nail on the head. Like originally, it was going to be developed as two separate films, one for the Colin Firth storyline, you know, where his wife cheats on him and he goes to uh, his cottage in France and falls in love with uh, his housekeeper who does not speak the same language as him, which seems like a very rom-com style premise, right? Right. Although I can't imagine watching a full feature film of that, especially because they don't speak the same language and can't really communicate. You know who else couldn't? Richard Curtis. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, and smart the, guy. <laughs> and the other one was the Liam Neeson character whose, you know, wife died and he, you know, as the dad to the stepson and the stepson falls in love and, you know, is, um, you know, he helps him with that in a completely ridiculous storyline. Right. That really doesn't make sense if you think about it, Josh. uh, Yeah, but I feel like that has maybe more potential for a feature because it's about the kind of father-son relationship more than it's about the kid falling in love with his classmate. Almost like about a boy, which is a better version of a storyline like that. Well, that had a whole feature film to explore it. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's a long movie. He does go after uh so many of those I, and I, yes, I I'm trying to contextualize it because <laughs> like yes, a lot of this was like obvious and low-hanging fruit, but in the same way now we probably think of it so much more of that because of this movie, right? Right. No, that's true because of the parodies and the references and whatever, it's become shorthand for certain things. Yeah. Um but but certainly the nature of this film cramming all of those stories into even a longish feature film means that you don't have time to really develop any of them other than those basic signs and that's kind of what he was going for on this one right right he he mentioned pulp fiction as a uh and robert altman as like influences uh for this one slightly better uh but he aimed high right and he landed at love actually yeah no that's that that's that's fine i mean and i do think that you know you get that opening voiceover from hugh grant talking about love being all around and whatever and i think that establishes the tone of like we're not going to be challenging the idea of love or we're not necessarily looking here for dark, complex stories. This is, movie is a celebration of love. And in that sense, it's kind of simplistic, but that's what it meant. it's meant to be. To credit it, though, not all of them are happy endings. That right? is true. And I did appreciate that this time, which I had kind of forgotten. Yeah. Uh, one other thing, Josh, because yes. he, he, you mentioned in the review those three movies like uh, Notting Hill, Bridget Jones and Four Weddings. Richard Curtis, like whatever we think of this movie, is one of the most successful screenwriters of all time, especially in rom-coms and TV comedy in Britain. Right. And I mean, those three movies, all I haven't seen in quite a while, but they're all really good romantic comedies, I think. Yeah. And we liked uh, his second feature, Begin Again, which I think, uh, or Mixed. Uh, You remember Begin Again? That's that's John Carney, the one with uh, Uh, Kira Knightley. uh, Beginning Time, Out of Time. You're Out of Touch, I'm Out of Time by Hall & Oates. (laughs) No, it's uh, I I wrote it down. It's about it's about time. About time. That's exactly what I said. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that was his third. Are I you, don't remember. But. Yeah. I, um. Yeah. I think that's his his third as a director. Right. But are Are you thinking of that movie? Or that's the one I was, of... and I have it written down. Oh, as okay. About I just time. want to make sure that you didn't think that he directed that John Carney movie. No, I love John Carney, as you know, because of our episode on Once, and I know that Begin Again is the only John Carney movie I haven't seen because it's not supposed because to be it like... was directed by Richard Curtis. <laughs> that's what made. It's so much tougher to see it as a John Carney movie. No, because it's supposed to be like the corporate version of Once, right? Yeah, so, yeah. But they both, uh, you know, they both have 
Jared Knightley in them? Not in about time. Richard in, Curtis in and John Carney <laughs> have both worked. All of this have Dave. both worked with Jared Knightley. Leave it in, Dave. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I I was going to say, uh, yeah, mixed results on him, but he's very successful. Yeah, I mean, but certainly prior to this film, with those three that that Ebert mentions, like those were all not only whether we like them or not, the huge, huge successes as romantic comedies. Exactly. So and this one is too. And this one was too, right. I mean, and it really kind of cemented him as like the romantic comedy guy. Success is all around you. Yeah. If, if you're, you're Richard, Richard Curtis. All right, there we <laughs> nice, go. Nice. So Todd McCarthy in Variety was, uh, was, was pretty positive. He said, a roundly entertaining romantic comedy, Love Actually is still nearly as cloying as it is funny. Grandly conceived by contemporary British genre master Richard Curtis, as a mosaic of love stories that collectively stress the primacy of amour even in difficult times, this doggedly cheery confection persists in going overboard with smiles, hugs, kisses, and musical reassurances that all you need is love. But its cheeky wit, impossibly attractive cast, and sure-handed professionalism are beguiling all the same qualities which, along with its all-encompassing romanticism, should make this a highly popular early holiday attraction for adults on both sides of the pond, which of course was true. Yeah, I, I agree with him that, like, I mean, you know, and again, to give Curtis credit here, like, he went all in on the sentimentality or the sappiness, and like, he's not holding that back, right? He's not trying to tell you he's doing something that he's not doing, right? So, um, I give him a lot of credit in that regard. Like, even if it's not for me again, I feel like I'm qualifying a lot of my statements. <laughs> but I'm trying to be fair because this movie is so beloved and Dave's wife, Gina's in the other room. And if I say the wrong thing, she might stab me in the neck with an Man, envelope. you've really with attributed a some, some... With a candy cane. She loves this movie. to Gina there. Well, I know she's violent. You do? Do you know that? <laughs> that was the end of my statement there. Okay. So. No, um, I was writing down like, you know, you, you watch and you're like, set piece, crowd pleasing set piece, another set piece, set piece you can play in montage, set piece you can play on TV. And there's just the, every storyline almost has one of those set pieces. Right. But I but I mean, I think you're right. Is that again, going back to that opening narration is that he tells you basically immediately what kind of movie this is and you're on board with it or not. And he delivers exactly what he says he's going to deliver. Right. And that opening narration is played against real uh, footage of people getting, uh, you know, coming off of airplanes at Heathrow Airport and uh, reuniting with their loved ones. And it was shot by like 10 cameras, I think, like probably, you know, undercover camera crews. And once they got the reactions, they asked if they could use it. So um, again, love was all around them, Josh. <laughs> that it was. So uh, A.O. Scott in the New York Times Ayo. hated Scott. this movie. Uh, it's, it's quite a quite an epic takedown. I I it, I would have loved to quote just almost the entire thing because it's very very mean. Um, <laughs> but uh, I pared it down here. He said a romantic comedy swollen to the length of an Oscar trawling epic, nearly two and a quarter hours of cheekiness, diffidence, and high tone smirking. It is more like a record label's greatest hits compilation or a, quote, very special sitcom clip reel show than an actual movie. Love Actually is a patchwork of contrived naughtiness and forced pathos, ending as it began with hugging and kissing at the airport, where returning passengers are perhaps expressing their relief at being delivered from an in-flight movie like this one. Whoa. The loose ends are neatly tied up, as they are when you seal a bag of garbage, or if you prefer, rubbish. So uh, that's a sampling of how much yeah. he hated this. The thing about a greatest hits compilation, Josh, is if you are if that's your entryway into an artist, you might you know go deeper if you like those hits, right? So in that regard, maybe this has turned other people onto other British comedies, rom coms, uh, other movies by these actors or filmmakers. So. You know, again, there's uh, there's two sides of the coin, A.O. Scott, just like trash and rubbish. Yes. No, but I, I think you're right, is that if, if you watch this movie and like it, you might watch another Richard Curtis movie. You might check out Richard Curtis's TV work. 
You might watch a Hugh Grant movie or a Liam Neeson movie or an Emma Thompson movie, uh, all of which have lots of great uh, options available. Yeah, and the humor is very British, I'd say, you know, in a... um you know, not as dry as some of the British humor I like, but it's still British in its way. So it might lead you down to looking at other uh, British comedies, Josh. Yes, yes. And did you see, I did not use an accent. I just changed my voice an octave. Way to go. I'm really doing good in this episode. This is some, I, I like it. some <laughs> gold that we've got here. Yeah, I agree, Josh. Um, so this movie was huge in 2003. Did you see it then? No. Oh, and okay. I can tell you, uh, you know, what I noticed is in a recent episode I talked about, I, I, you and I have switched places because I liked when we were digging deeper into your romantic failures and now <laughs> into mine. I remember my girlfriend, maybe the next year or the year after, it was around Christmas time and she wanted to watch this with me. And I wanted to watch it with her, but then I, I was like working all morning. And then she watched it, and I was like, oh, man, I thought we were going to watch it together. And we're not together anymore, Josh. Shocking. (laughs) (laughs) So I think I watched it, you know, because it's so obligatory. At some point, I just watched it to see what all the rage was about. uh, And then I watched it again for this movie podcast. Both times alone. Yep, sadly. (laughs) You're right. Sad state of affairs. Yeah. No, that's okay. I watched this alone as well. I think I, I watched it. Not in the theater, but um, I, I remember being interested in watching this, maybe because I had enjoyed a previous Richard Curtis movie yeah, or just because I'd heard good things about it and, you know, like renting it and probably watching it alone and enjoying it, like not loving it, but uh, thinking, yeah, that was nice. And yeah. I think in the subsequent years, as we'll probably talk about, it's become such a I mean, it's so beloved among certain people. And then I think because of that the people who dislike it, there's just become this huge backlash to it that's really overly intense, I think, for what a movie like this would warrant, even if you don't like it. Um, so it's become this, like, division among people yeah. uh, of, uh, you know, whether you like it or not. There was some some letterbox review that I was looking at with this person going into all of this detail about how... Um, you know, watch out if, you know, you may not realize it, but one of your loved ones loves love actually. And, you know, saying it as if you're discovering that your loved one is like a racist or something or is in the clan. Yeah. Well, you know, like we keep saying love is all around us, but backlash is all around love. That is so, so true. (laughs) Um, so do you, this is your second time watching? I mean, probably it's possible I watched it somewhere in between there for some reason, but I don't, I don't recall. I mean, it's one of those things that's so ubiquitous in pop culture that yeah. you see a clip or like a parody of it. And it's hard to remember, like, did I actually watch that whole movie? Um, but I, I still think it's fine. Yeah. I think it's totally fine. So, Dave, did you did you watch this with uh, Gina first or before then? I honestly can't remember. Like, I feel like I had seen this back when it came out, but maybe not. It's like it kind of runs together with a lot of similar romantic comedies, you know, but we've watched it together a few times. See, and they're still together. So you proves my point about my failed relationship. So because they watched it together they're still together and no that's what what is your what is your point richard curtis is the glue yeah come on (laughs) everyone can see this why can't you see this all right by the way i i think going back to what you were just saying about people who just really over hate this movie i feel like it's kind of become one of those things almost like oh did you know die hard is a christmas movie it's like it's just become part of people's personalities to hate this movie right right and i i don't know why of all the movies that people love that are sappy that this one inspires right, that one? such extreme rather than just oh yeah that's i don't i don't I, really like that well yeah. you can you can argue that so many of the things are oversimplified and if you actually think about it like things would never work out that way and that could make you angry because you know people just start just are going with it without being like hey but could this happen like this well you know sure but that's not the only movie that that's true of that's most rom-coms yeah yeah not not the only beloved movie i get it uh maybe because people that um, do you think the christmas element has something to do i think that might be i think it's a combination of like the sappiness of a romantic comedy and the sappiness of a christmas movie yeah and people who can't stand either of those things and then suddenly they're like together i mean obviously there's a million you know there's hallmark churns out hundreds of these many of them 
you know, inspired by this. Absolutely. But, but those, I think by virtue of there being so many of them, there isn't like one to focus on, yeah. you know? And so this becomes like the example of like the, the, you're the right deer or the zenith of it depending on how you look at it no you're 100 percent right if you say romantic romantic comedy christmas movie this is the one you would think of immediately right? yeah like uh if i say you know kid a comedy fighting uh robbers and punching him in the balls i'd think of home alone josh that's a genre you know i would so. love to know what other movies are <laughs> potentially in that genre that aren't sequels to home alone damn it you took uh <laughs> you took my answer from me <laughs> uh all right well anything you uh want to add on the background here jason josh this soundtrack a hit number one on the uk uh album charts guess how long it stayed on that chart seven weeks 348 weeks oh album. not at number one though. no oh no. okay yeah. yeah all right yeah that would be crazy josh. yes it would um we mentioned how you know this is an ensemble piece all these stories tied together i think there are 10 in the movie they filmed 12 and there were 14 written. Right. And I don't know if the the two that were filmed but not in the movie, I should have looked. I watched this on the DVD if the scenes were on there or not. I didn't see it. I know one was about a, a maybe middle-aged or older lesbian and her dying lover. And, you know. Well, that would have been good to get some, like, uh, queer representation in here, which it doesn't have. Yeah. Also, I think, um, you know, that could have showed a different side of love right Right, and maybe that was one of the reasons that he didn't want to get too morbid with it or whatever we've got liam neeson's dead wife but that's all off screen so you yeah know, we can, and he, he really uh gets over it remarkably well <laughs> in this movie claudia schiffer's that's yeah. true that that always helps yeah all right so i think that's about uh that's about it for my background there josh all right well we'll come back in a moment and talk about our general thoughts on love actually Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this special holiday episode, looking back at our season on the films of 2003, we are talking about Richard Curtis's Christmas rom-com, Juggernaut Love Actually. And we've said a lot of critical things, so I want to start, Jason. What was your favorite storyline in Love Actually? Uh, probably the, well, the one I enjoyed the most was Bill Nighy as Billy Mack, uh, because he is wonderful, you know? And we he's probably he's wonderful in everything he's bill nighy right and you know that's the aging rock star who knows he made a you know we love is all around christmas is all around the, the trog song and he's like ah it's not good but we could make it number one and he has a lot of fun with it and he just uh, doesn't seem to care you know if he's embarrassing himself uh or you know whatever he'll do what it takes and you know that was a fun one also that's a nice moment of friendship between him and the manager that's true. Yeah, it's a uh, it's again a, an effort maybe for Curtis to find a different like kind of love. Like here's platonic love. You yeah. know, here's here's two people who have known each other all this time and just are finally really appreciating each other as people, not in a romantic sense. Yeah, I'm waiting for that between us, Josh. <laughs> so we can uh, get together on Christmas and get drunk and watch porn well, as, as they do, I, which seems like a weird activity for yeah. two platonic male friends well, I'm to engage in. positive we've probably spent time together on Christmas. Probably. I'm sure that we have. And not, we've not probably doing watched those movies. Yeah, definitely not. And we've yeah. drank beverages. Right. Drink beverages and watch movies. Almost the same thing. <laughs> almost there. Yeah. We're like one big, you know, Christmas song away from making this happen. John. Yeah, of course. So, but yes, of course, Bill Nye is great in this film. Um, and he's sort of like the through line. He doesn't actually connect with any of the other characters but he's always in the background as they hear his song and they see him on right. TV. And you know, that, that also ties into the whole Christmas aspect cause it's a Christmas song and he's trying to get it to be the Christmas number one on the charts and all that. And it's very yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, and you had mentioned the connection between characters. Every, every other character is kind of connected in some way, not necessarily all to each other, but one is connected to the next, to the next, to the next. Right. And that's kind of the Altman-y thing. If you think of like, especially Shortcuts, which is the, I think the movie that people always think of for uh, that kind of format from Altman. Um, and they all, almost all of them come together there in the final, the uh, Christmas pageant 
with all the kids and, and the airport at the end. Yeah, well, right at the very end in the sort of the epilogue. Yeah, but the the this climax of so many of those stories takes place at the Christmas pageant. Was this also your favorite story? Um, I mean, it's nice. It's 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 not as much of a storyline. I mean, if you want to talk about like, I don't know, actually feeling the romance of it, I guess I I like the Hugh Grant. Even though it's super problematic as like a workplace, there's so many inappropriate workplace interactions in this movie. Um, but the the Hugh Grant as the prime minister who falls in love with his, I, I don't even know what she is, some household staffer yeah. um, played by Martine McCutcheon. Um, I just, I thought they had good chemistry and Hugh Grant is is so likable uh, as this ridiculous uh, lovelorn prime minister figure, which is, you do not want this guy like running your country. But uh, as a rom-com character, I thought he was very pleasant. Three set pieces. <laughs> he had three set pieces, Josh. Right. He had the dance after he stood up to the president, to the Pointer Sisters. Jump right. for all your love. Yeah. Which is a very funny moment. Yeah. He had the big kiss at the end, right, at the pageant when they raised the curtain. Yeah. And uh, the kind of going from door to door to find the right woman was another big set piece there. All fun, I thought. But you're right. But, you know, it's sad, Josh, that these two just can't have love in the modern world because people like you and your ilk find workplace romance <laughs> unacceptable. Anymore. You know how many couples wouldn't be together if they didn't work together? I, I, I'm just saying that there's a lot of the way that these romances are set up in the workplace, too. Like, for example, OK. There's the uh, stand-ins, the kind of small storyline with Martin Freeman. They're the two actors who are working on a yeah. film set, and they're co-workers, and they... Joanna Page is There the you answer. go, Joanna Page, and they're in all of these very uh, uncomfortable situations for this movie that they have to recreate sex scenes in. Right. Not, they, yeah. So they're, they're, you know, standing in so they can, the, the crew can check the lighting and the camera angles and make sure everything's right for when the these stars of the movie come in. Right, exactly. And so through the course of this, they kind of get to know each other and then they have a nice little date together. That is a workplace romance that I feel like that's the right kind. It's like they're the, they're at the same level. They're just equal co-workers who come together, have a nice conversation and decide that they like each other. Oh, I see, Josh. You believe in a caste system like in <laughs> India. You could only fall in love with someone at the same level of you financially. You can't fall in love with someone who's richer or poorer than you. No, Good you, to know, you, Josh. You perfectly can. But I mean, I think there's a definite, you, you see, and it's not just the falling in love. I mean, in that Hugh Grant storyline, when he decides, you know, realizes that he's like uncomfortable about being in love with her because he's her boss. He has her transferred to, we never find out where. Right. But do you think, is that the right move? Because now he's like, Hey, I can't work with this person because I'm in love with her, but I'm still going to, she's still going to have a job. Yeah, just but not away did, from me. did she want that other job that he gave her? Did is it is it the same salary? Is it a similar prestige and duties? I mean, that's... Josh, he's got a country to run, man. <laughs> I don't think he's doing a lot of that, really. If he if he wants his intern to do naughty things with a cigar, wait, I'm not going down this road. Never mind. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, even even in terms of the coworkers, like not the ones who are in love, like Alan Rickman's character, right? He he is the boss of something uh, uh generic yeah. company advertising one yeah company. i don't know yeah. whatever uh and uh laura linney is his employee and she is in love with her co-worker played by rodrigo santoro and alan rickman her boss calls her in for a meeting and is like hey i know you're in love with your co-worker so uh make that happen like yeah. your boss should not tell you this yeah i miss the good old days <laughs> yeah. all right well we can move on from um, that, that complaint <laughs> okay let me tell you these storylines that i hate okay, okay. So, so first of all uh the colin uh and tony storyline colin played by chris marshall who can't get laid that's basically his storyline right he can't get laid because he's a dick yeah but he's like <laughs> i can't get laid here in britain but me accent is good enough to get me some sex over there in america because he's from australia that wasn't Australia. And that was like Cockney, maybe. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. So he goes to America. We see him in one scene in the bar. Yeah. Then he goes and because he has a British accent and right. he's in a bar in America, he has a four way with uh, Ivana Milosevic, January Jones, Alicia Cuthbert and Shannon Elizabeth. And that is incredibly ridiculous and dumb. I will say 
in defense of that storyline, it's so over the top ridiculous that to me watching it this time, I took it as like a parody of the idea that British accents are sexy and that Americans will fall for anyone with a British accent. I mean, if it's a parody, though, where does that fit within the rest of the movie? Right, right. I mean, that's true, is that you could argue that its tone is off compared to the earnestness of the rest of the stories. But I just, I was like, there's no way that Richard Curtis thinks that this is as, you know, emotionally resonant as the rest of these love stories. He's doing it as sort of, a, a, you know, it's a joke. I mean, obviously it's a comedy, but it's, it's a it's a meta commentary. I'm trying to give it a little credit there. I yeah. felt like there's no way he means for you to take that seriously. If, if even if I take your argument right on your side, I would say Richard Curtis has writ- written much better comedy than that. Well, and that's fair. But yeah. I, I, I to me, especially in the scene with the women in the bar where they keep saying about their absurd circumstances, yeah. like, Oh, we only have one bed and, and we all sleep it naked. Yeah. It's like, it's, it just, it builds on the ridiculous. I get it, it, but it's, but it's again, it doesn't even play out right because they go back to their place, which is a giant house. Well, Maybe they just rent a room in the house. Mm, I just, the whole thing doesn't ring true. And then, you know, they go back to England and Shannon Elizabeth, doing a Southern accent. Well, Shannon Elizabeth is not a good actor, and I think we can all acknowledge that. This is probably the worst I've seen her act with that accent. She's like, hey, y'all, I brought my roommate. Hope that's okay. And it's Denise Richards, and then she looks at the other British guy, and he's like, you're British. I love you. Fuck. Let's fuck. You know, it's horrible, Josh. Yeah. Uh, So that's one I don't like. Okay. All right. I got two more for you. That That just... Go for infuriate it. me take it away what, what's the most famous scene in this movie josh right the 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 cue cards the cue cards yes so peter played by uh chiwetelo ojafor right is that how you pronounce his name yeah chiwetel ejiofor yeah yeah um marries juliet played by kira knightley that's how you pronounce her that name. is and mark is the best man right yes he's he's peter's best friend yeah and that's andrew lincoln yes R- rick grimes <laughs> so, <laughs> right. before he was rick grimes yeah um and so this is what happens right so um juliet and peter think that mark doesn't like juliet because he's cold to her yes but really he's secretly in love with her correct and he you know when she finds out because of the way he shot the wedding you know, he did all these kind of cool, because nice. He's th- a creepy stalker. This is what I'm. This is yes. where I'm getting at. Like right. he did some cool things for them at the wedding, where he had like the band. What that was a good set piece. Yeah, that was the band nice. play. All you need is love. Right, right. Um. So you know, then he, yeah, then he shoots it. Like if you just put different music underneath it, it would be like a single white female type thing, right? Yes. Um. And she, he's like, hey, I, I, you know, the reason you think I don't like you is for I, I have to be called for self preservation, right? Because I care about my friendship with Peter, right? Right. So then on Christmas, he goes and he tricks Peter by saying, say it's some carolers. And he plays a Christmas song. And on cue cards, he's like, I love you. I don't expect anything, but I'm in love with you. And you're perfect. You're the worst best friend there is, Mark. You're the worst best friend. Shame on you. You're a piece of crap, Mark. Right. And I mean, and really, he's doubly a piece of crap because not only is he a terrible best friend, but he's also with this woman that he supposedly loves, putting her in like a horrible position there as she stands at the door. I mean, yeah, he's just horrible. He's a bad person. And I mean, if he had just gone to Peter and been like, Peter, you're my best friend. I know I never talked to your wife, but somehow I'm in love with her. I'd have been like, at least you're honest, dude. At least you're trying to save something here. But now you're just being the worst of all of all kinds. Like you're lying to your friend. Like you said, you're putting your best friend's wife in a position. And it's just like, why do people think this is like a good moment on film? Yeah, well, because it's a good moment, like divorced of that context. The construction. No, I mean, you're talking about the set pieces in this movie. Yeah. And a lot of them are great in and of themselves and maybe don't necessarily fully work in the context of their story or they're not fully earned in the context of their stories. So I think as a romantic gesture kind of thing, if this was a different sort of movie and the story of the movie was she was married to Chiwetelli Jofor and was unhappy. Right. Who doesn't treat her well. Right, and exactly. He doesn't treat Mark well. Right. None of that's there. No, I agree. But so I'm just saying is that that as a romantic moment is really good, is really well constructed. 
and is the kind of thing that Richard Curtis is good at creating. And so I think that's the reason why it's, it's, it's so, uh, familiar to people you know you, you if you see a movie a moment from this movie it's almost always that right. moment it's just as you said that you use good terminology it's unearned yeah and therefore uh not only is meaningless but infuriating right no i mean and i agree with you on that point and it's weird but they you know you're meant to think it's nice of course and then he leaves he says right oh i don't expect anything so he just gives that message and walks away and then she runs after him and gives him a kiss but you, I think, are meant to think that that's like her like acknowledgement, like, here's this. That's all you're going to get. Yeah. And he's like, it's enough. And he says yeah. it very quietly to himself. And then we see them in the epilogue at the one, one month later, I think it is, at the airport. And they're all friends. Yeah. They're all hanging out. It's all good. And Peter is a dumb idiot who doesn't realize any of this has ever happened. Right. So, right. So that one really bothered me. OK. Oh, there's one more. Oh, there's one. More, OK, Josh. let's hear it. This. Look, I get it, man. <laughs> we talked about Liam Neeson you know, Daniel, and now he's got Sam, his kid, and Sam's in love with a classmate. And his theory is, if I learn to play an instrument, I will get her because if you, because girls like musicians. And I'm Well, and she's, her. she's, a, she herself is a musician. She's yes. a singer. So he learns to play the drums. Yes. And Josh, tell me, Josh, does, does he play the drums alone or is there a band that also plays backup yeah there's a whole band he's and, in the and, drum and, band. and and who is this band what 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 is this band comprised of it's just like the school band oh other kids yeah so I what's think. the point he, you can't just be like i'll learn the drums and then she'll love me she's if that's the case then he's got to take out all these other musicians that she might also love again that it just doesn't make this storyline it doesn't make sense josh and also the whole storyline goes for not because she's supposed to leave for America to move there. And then a month later, she's back anyway. Well, so. she may just be coming back to visit, you know? Yeah, people always come back to visit in the middle of January once school restarts. I mean, once you go to a new that school. they used to live, Josh, that they might still have relatives. She's moving to a new school and her parents are like, hey, now that you've been in your new school for one week, go visit Sam. Like, come on, man. I feel like your objections to this storyline are like <laughs> nitpicky when you could object to the big picture of it. Which, is, which is, what do you want me to object to? Well, no, I actually story. like this storyline. Yeah. Because I think all of the stuff that you're nitpicking is really not important because it's not about the kid being in love with the classmate. It's about the stepdad finding a way to bond with his kid. Yeah, but he gives him just not great advice there. But again, more set piece go. Not only do we have the the literally the run to the airport, right? Which is a screenwriting term. We have a run through the airport, Josh. Yes, and they have to, because it's post 9-11, they have to figure out a way for him to, the little kid to get past airport security. Yeah. And endanger all of the passengers in this airport. Right. But I actually, I will, the one thing I'll give credit to is I, uh, on that storyline is I did find, uh, as I often do find it, Rowan Atkinson is quite hilarious as uh, Rufus, the, the, uh, the gift wrapper who is going way overboard. And, you know, he comes back for the callback to help the kid while he's, you know, at the airport. And right. He just, just does everything very stuff. slowly. Yeah. So, and, and of course, Richard Curtis has a long history with Rowan Atkinson as a writer on the Mr. Bean show and the movie. So, yes. So those are the ones that really bothered me. I'd okay. say. Okay. All right. I, I will say again, with that Liam Neeson storyline, I, I liked that it was again, where it's looking at sort of a different kind of love. It's a familial love. It's about this guy. And I, this, you know, I agree. I would like to have seen that in a more honest representation. Yeah. Josh. And right. I mean, I think, you know, the one I might like the most is the Harry and Karen and Mia, which is Rickman and Emma Thompson and uh, Heike McCatch. Is that her name? Sure. Where she's like his secretary and she's like the hot young thing and she's overtly flirting with him. I mean, that's putting it mildly. Really. Yeah. She's, she's like, basically like jumping his bones yeah. all, all the time right. in the office. And he, she's just like, give me a Christmas present. He buys her the romantic necklace. And honestly, the present that he got his wife wasn't a bad present given the context of the movie because she said, I love Joni Mitchell. It frees me up. And he bought her like a Joni Mitchell album on CD, whatever. I mean, uh, she probably, if she loves Joni Mitchell, probably already owns all that. Of Joni that's Mitchell's fair albums. too, right? And yes. then, um, you know, she knows that the necklace is being given to someone else. He doesn't sleep with her, which I think is good. Like he didn't go that far out, like, oh, I banged her at the Christmas party or something like that. But he, he's like, hey, you know, I thought that was the most honest stuff, the Emma Thompson stuff, where he's like, you not only made a fool of me, but like 
this life that I've given you. You're out there working. I'm I'm here taking care of our kids. What does this mean if you're not going to respect that? I thought not the most entertaining, but that was the most honest stuff. So that and the Hugh Grant stuff, probably the best stuff. Right. Me. No, I do like that. I mean, it helps too that, uh, I mean, Alan Rickman and especially Emma Thompson are, are cool. really, really good. Yeah. And that it's not, not only is it a story where like the love doesn't really work out, but it's not your standard cheating story. That's what where, I mean, yeah. Right. She's like, how dare you? Now I'm going to divorce you. And, you know, the epilogue would have her like, you know, with some new relationship, new guy, yeah. you know, and he's miserable. because I the miss my kids. Because the, the secretary <laughs> left him or something. In the epilogue, they're still together and still also clearly unhappy. Yeah. You know, so I did appreciate that. I also kind of appreciated the Laura Linney storyline where she's in love with her coworker and she finally is able to kind of hook up with him and it's reciprocated. And then during their hookup, she's interrupted by her brother that she kind of takes care of. He keeps calling her. He's uh, mentally ill and is in some sort of institution. And, you know, she obviously cares about him very much and he's a priority for her. And you know, her coworker who she's been in love with for, as Alan Rickman points out, I don't know, years, years I guess. Right. Yeah. Like, it's right, just kind of a dick. He's like, oh, you have to help your family. Bye. Well, and then what is the resolution there? It's there is no resolution be between the two of them. right? Not really. I mean, there's a moment where she's in the office again late at night and he leaves and he just basically kind of says bye. And to me, that resolution was like, yeah, nothing. They're not going to be together. All that time she was supposedly in love with him. And in one moment, yeah. it was like, they're clearly not compatible because he doesn't understand her devotion to her family. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was a good scene with her and the brother in the institution. Hmm. Hmm. Mm -mm -mm. <laughs> okay. Mm -mm. Dave, what do you like or dislike about this movie? I like a lot about this movie. Um, and by the way, uh, Gina just messaged me from the other room that the British voice in the bar thing would definitely happen in real life. So. <laughs> Gina, come in here, please. <laughs> you have friends that would have uh, an orgy with, uh, with a man just because of a British accent? Really? What about like a New Jersey accent? <laughs> <laughs> Bummer for me. Maybe if you go to England, though. Yeah, that's yeah. true. To go overseas, yeah. Gina, uh, can I meet your friends? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, oh, go on, Dave. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it's just a fun movie, you know. Like you guys have kind of covered like most of you know the best stories that, that are in it and all, and it's certainly a little bit of a mixed bag from story to story. But overall, it's just like a fun movie for the holidays. Yeah, and I think even the stuff where there's a lot of problems logically um, or, you know, things that are, like, problematic that I pointed out, I feel like so much of it, you think, like, mm, I don't know about this, but the acting is so good like, across good. the board that they sell almost everything he's in a, this movie. He's a good director, you know, um, sharp, sharp writer, obviously. I do think I, maybe it was uh, McCarthy or A.O. Scott. Too way too long, man. It, 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 you cut twenty minutes, you gain more out of this thing. I guess, Two hours and fifteen minutes too long. Yeah, time. I suppose. But because it's so many different storylines, I never felt like with any of the stories, like, oh, this is going on too long. Like, get to the point already. Well, I mean, I think they could have cut that whole one that we just talked about with Gina's friend sleeping with the guy. Uh, yeah, that's not twenty accent. minutes worth of the movie, though. That's no, but like, that you could have cut that storyline, and the movie would have been just as good. I think. I, I yeah. Or better. Right. Maybe so. What one other thing I wanted to mention too is, and this maybe goes a little bit more into the legacy and like movies like this that have come since but uh i feel like this is such like a movie movie you know where just everything about it just feels so cinematic and so much like a movie movie and you don't really get that that much anymore and that's part of like the charm and appeal of it i, I want to say one thing about that it's like i really liked that i felt like i was in london there you know like all the places it looked like it was it was a good like you're saying like it felt like Christmas on screen right. in a, a particular place. They right? used all of their resources really well to make a movie. You know? Right. And I think especially romantic comedies and like mentioning all those Hallmark movies, like those all have budgets of like $4. Right. <laughs> they yeah. don't look like movies at all. And I feel like romantic comedies, maybe, you know, much like horror movies, for example, they have this built in audience of people who will watch anything in that genre. Yeah. And that leads to the people who make the movies not respecting the audience and not putting effort in. And this is a movie where you can see that effort on screen. 
All right, guys. All so right. Uh, Jason's done. I'm bug over there. All right. So uh, out of out of out wait, of, wait, let me ask you a question. Yes. Because we, we talked about all these set pieces. Did you guys have a favorite set piece? Um, I don't. I do like the the Hugh Grant uh, knocking on all the doors because it gives him so many moments to be like flustered Q, yeah. Q Grant uh, in in those when he goes to the different doors. And there's a couple like, this movie is very sunny and endearing as we keep saying. There are a couple of like throwaway weird jokes. Um, and the one I remember is when, when Colin Firth, he's going to visit his extended family, all these characters who we've never seen before. And he shows up at the door with all the presents and his whole family. They're like, Uncle Jamie, we love you. And then immediately he's like, oh wait, no, I have to leave and go get my Portuguese uh, love slave. And um, all the kids are like, I hate Uncle Jamie. Exactly. And not just one. You're like, one, you're like, that's funny. But then like four, they're just like, I hate Uncle Jamie. I hate Uncle Jamie. So I I like that moment. I did. And actually when he goes to get the woman and then he meets the woman's dad and then the woman's dad makes fun of the other daughter because she's fat, Josh. Oh, man, there's so many. We didn't even get to how many (laughs) awful fat jokes are in this movie. Oh, you don't want to marry her. She's the fat one, right? Like really, really classy stuff. It's really terrible, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But when when the whole family, even the fat sister, is like following him and walking to the restaurant, that's nice. Yeah, that is kind of nice. And it also gets undercut with some jokes when the sister is like, father is going to sell my sister as a slave to this Englishman, you know, that points out like the absolute absurdity of these characters who've never really spoken to each other. No one wants to buy me because I'm a defetso. Yeah, there's that too. (laughs) Dave, did you have a favorite set piece? I don't really have a specific one. I mean, there's just lots of really fun stuff spread throughout it. And I mean, I guess it is a great version of the running to the airport scene. So that's a good one. Yeah. So, so Jason, out of five uh, runs to the airport, how would you rate this? It gives me two and a half airport runs, Josh. All right. I'm going to give it three. And, my, uh, you know, I think overall it's fine. So, Dave? I'm going with three and a half. It's, right. it's a really fun movie. All right. Hey, Josh, this is one your sister loves too, right? I don't know if she does, actually. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Well, maybe there needs to be a sequel where you and your sister reconcile. <laughs> Over what exactly? Sorry, I got too personal. Okay, then. <laughs> she listens to this podcast. We have a lovely relationship. I I still care about you, Brandy. <laughs> we'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of love, actually. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this special holiday episode, looking back at our season on the films of 2003, we are talking about Christmas romantic comedy, Love Actually. And as we've kind of referenced, I mean, this movie has become a a, a juggernaut as a Christmas movie, as a romantic comedy. I think one of the biggest legacies here is just parodies and references, especially the cue card scene that we keep talking about. There's so many different versions of that. And, you know, this is the go-to thing. If people think of a romantic comedy, it's it's still this movie, really. Yeah, this is the staple Christmas romantic comedy. I agree with you on that. Yeah. So uh, this was the, the directorial debut for Richard Curtis, who'd worked as a writer on a lot of things, as we'd mentioned. Um, as a director, he hasn't had a huge career. Jason uh, eventually mentioned About Time the sort of time travely romantic comedy with uh, Domino Gleason and Rachel McAdams. Bill Nighy, right? Again. And Bill Nighy too, yeah. which is, uh, it's okay. It's um, okay. Again, there was something that he, that the main character did that just infuriated me from a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. Richard Curtis, good at writing romance, not good at writing sci-fi. I think there are so many ridiculous plot holes <laughs> in that movie. Not good at writing logic. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of which, he also wrote uh, the What If the Beatles Didn't Exist movie Yesterday, directed by Danny Boyle, another movie short on logic. Was that good? Nah. Eh, eh. And Pirate Radio, he directed. Yeah, that wrote. he directed, also with Bill Nye, I believe, which was also the... Um, and he's, he's branched out beyond uh, romantic comedy. He wrote Steven Spielberg's War Horse. Um, and, you know, I mean, if, if, if Richard Curtis came back you know, if if some if it was like a new Richard Curtis romantic comedy is coming, people would be super excited. Yeah, and you that. would think that like one of the streamers would try to get that like right now. You know. Yeah, I'm not sure what he's working on at the moment, but well, I'm sure he'd be a hot commodity. I can tell you. Oh, Josh. please do. But I did want to, like I mentioned, Mr. Bean, Black Adder, um, The Vicar of Dibley. He's done a lot of big British TV. Yes. Um, he's writing the script for the new Little Mermaid. Oh, 
That could be okay, I guess. Is that the Disney one or the there's like multiple versions? Yeah, there is. I wonder. The new Little Mermaid. All right. Well, that's good <laughs> enough. Who knows if these movies will even be made? Oh, I, I also want to give him credit because he's one of the founders of British Comic Relief. And we're going to talk about Red Nose Day, which is related mm. to that. Yeah. They've raised over one billion pounds for charities to wipe out hunger and poverty throughout the world. So like awesome. Good job, Richard. Yeah, you, you can't criticize that. And and speaking of things you can't criticize. There is the charity uh, sort of pseudo sequel to this film, uh, Red Nose Day, actually. Oh, which is, you, we can't criticize it. Well, I, we, we can and we will. Yeah. Uh, but I just mean that it was it, it's not a real sequel to the movie. Yeah. It's basically a long advertisement for charity. Yeah. And so in that sense, you can't criticize the intention of all these actors coming back together in order to promote Red Nose Day and helping impoverished children. Yeah. I mean, that's great. And I'm sure it helped raise money in 2017. But yes, it's horrible. Yeah. He also did one for four weddings and a funeral, which I haven't seen. But yeah, it's all like, it's all, I don't know if there's a, any point to it really. Right? I mean, the point is to raise money. But yeah, as far as what it does with the characters, we have a few, not all of the characters, but a number of them get little follow-up scenes. And it doesn't, it doesn't give you anything other than making Andrew Lincoln's character even more creepy. Not just that. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because I was going to say, like, so he comes back and does the cue cards, obviously. But they're like, you know, like, they haven't spoken to him in years. Right. What, and he's is like, what he's, the implication is, right? Right. And he asks Kira Knightley, he's like, are you happy? And she's like, um, yeah, I'm happy with Peter. Leave me the hell alone. Yeah. But, like... Imagine you hadn't spoken to a guy in years and this is the way he comes back into your life. And then, you know, he introduces his wife who was like one of the models it's, on this. Uh, Kate Moss. Oh, yeah, she's a model. She and is. she has cue cards too. So the two of them have worked out the entire conversation, uh, like predictive text of what Tiara Knightley is going to say next. Of like, yes, we met here. Ah, yes, he is a good person and all this and then like, it just doesn't again makes zero sense. It really much. makes no it makes no sense whatsoever. And you think of him having been married to Kate Moss, and he's like, you know what we're gonna do today, my wife? <laughs> yeah, go we're to the woman go, I really love. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna go over to this lady that I was in love with 15 years ago who I haven't seen, and we're gonna make her really uncomfortable. Let's do yeah. that today. <laughs> Poor Sam. Uh, you know, they have the thing with Sam and Liam Neeson again, and he's like, yeah, Liam Neeson's like. If I remember correctly, the real only time that you've ever been in love is when you were 11 years old and it was uh, whatever, the Joanna. And, and, you know, and then he's like, you're dead. That's right. We met, uh, we met up in New York and we want to get married now. Like, so he's just been pining away for her since elementary school and that. So that's not good. Man, your accent work here is something. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, you do, Sam. No, I can't. See, I know. I know my limitations. I don't even try. And then, and then you know, Colin Firth and the... Portuguese wife now have kids and I think that's uh, and Hugh Grant's now prime minister again and all that fun stuff yeah and the thing with the Colin Firth and the Portuguese wife is like oh so at the end of love actually like his whole journey is that he like diligently learns Portuguese so that he can talk to her and then 13 years later in this dumb sequel, <laughs> he still can't speak Portuguese. <laughs> yeah. And she makes jokes about it. And their kids speak Portuguese, but he does. Like, what a terrible husband you yeah. are, Colin Firth. Well, Laura Linney marries that guy, doesn't she? Uh, she Well, she appears, uh, she appears to have a different boyfriend. Oh, uh, a different guy. Yeah, Patrick Dempsey shows up. And it's it's a sort of a fake out where she answers the phone. You think maybe she's talking to her brother again, but it turns out yeah. she has this uh, you know, nice boyfriend who understands her uh, care for yeah, her brother. Because the brother murdered two guards and now is in solitary. <laughs> that is not what happens. Oh, but sorry. Maybe only in your uh, I your believed you. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very bad. And it almost weirdly, like, taints the uh, nice feelings of the ending of Love Actually, yeah. if you liked it. But again, it's all, you know, it ends with, like, a montage of, you know, hungry children. Like, it's not really a sequel to the movie. No, I get it, Josh. I get it. Now, let's talk about, you know, look, there's too many actors to go over everyone and what they've all done. Yeah. Um, you know, we, like, just a few things. A ton of them have done Christmas movies, other Christmas movies since then. Emma Thompson, Cruella, this past year, you know. Is that uh, a Christmas movie? No, no, I'm not talking about just a Christmas oh, okay. But she is in the a movie called Last Christmas. Which was from oh, 2019. Right. The, the one with so. Amelia Clark. Yeah, that's right. not very good. But I'm not really talking about that. I'm just saying, like, you know, what kind of some of the big stars have been doing recently. And she's going to be in Matilda, the musical version on screen. Colin Firth doing the staircase, obviously, Kingsman, King's Speech, 
both Oscar winners, those two, you know. Uh, Kingsman was an Oscar winner? Oh, did it win for special King effects? Speech. Or something? King, King Speech. King Speech, but not Kingsman. I meant Emma to Emma. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she would tell is directing a movie. Did you know that? Um, yeah, didn't that come out? Wasn't that at festivals or something? Is that the boy who something with the wind or something? Is not what he directed? I don't know. He's got one called Rob Peace. That oh, okay, maybe directed. that's another one, or maybe I'm totally yeah. wrong. Yeah. Uh, Kira Knightley doing Boston Strangler. She's in a Christmas movie right now, Silent Night, that you watched. Yeah, that's like the opposite of love, actually. It's uh, about uh, the world is ending and literally every character dies. Yeah. So, but it's Christmas. Um, um, way to spoil the movie for everyone. Josh. Well, that's like the concept of the movie <laughs> is that they're all going to die. That's what it introduces itself with. Joe, the manager, Gregor Fisher, is in a new one that I would like, I think, called The In at the End of the World. Do you know about this? No. So, based on a bestseller, Josh, okay. it's a book. Well, yeah. yeah about people who don't want to be like in London or uh, wherever uh, during the holidays. So there's like a contest and like five random people get to go to like the inn at the very most remote part of Scotland or something. Sure. That sounds fun to me. Bill Nighy was in uh, Arthur Christmas. So there's another Christmas Oh yeah, movie. Arthur Christmas is good. That uh, is good. It's, yeah. It's an Aardman film. And this movie was like Bill Nye's breakout role, really. In America, I'd say. Yeah, but even even in Britain, I mean, he'd done some TV and a lot of stage work. But as far as being a movie star uh, in either place, I feel like this was really the one that brought him to people's attention, you know, this later in his life. So he's doing a movie based on a... Actually, I saw this story on Real Sports years ago about... It's called the Homeless World Cup about homeless uh, soccer teams. Uh, soccer teams comprised of homeless people who play in a World Cup in, you know, like one city. Seems like Richard Curtis could help them raise money. Yeah, maybe so. You know, and then uh, obviously Hugh Grant just having such a good run right now. Uh, I loved a very English scandal. I loved him in that. He's great in The Gentleman, obviously Paddington too. We know he's doing that. And then coming up, he's in the new Guy Ritchie one, which has a horrible name, Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre, you know? Yeah. I mean, he seems like, you know, this is a, a height of the example of him as like this king of romantic comedies that along with Richard Curtis, he really was in the 90s and early 2000s. But with some of that stuff that you mentioned, he's really trying to give himself a bit more grit and edge. He's and, done it. He's yeah. He's been super, he's like had the probably the most unique transformation since like Bill Murray or something. Right. Like but that. I mean, I think what's interesting about that, and I haven't seen all those things you mentioned, but I like watching him on the undoing, for example, right. is he uses that. I'm a charming, good looking guy image to sort of as an entry point to uh, being devious and sinister. I love that, man. Yeah. You know, he's really pushing himself. Uh, maybe not in the upcoming film Dungeons and Dragons, which Oof. he's also in, but yeah, hey, that's okay. <laughs> well, you gotta get you gotta get paid. And you know who really became a huge star since this movie was Martin Freeman. Who, yes, yeah, he's who's excellent. You know, Fargo. Uh, interesting that both he and Billy Bob are that, and then Billy Bob plays the president in this. Uh, he was in a Christmas Carol, I think, last year. Or another movie of it. Oh uh, yeah, was that the one with the Tom Hardy one? Did he play Bob Cratchit? Maybe. Yeah, I yeah. think you're right. Yeah. The Hobbit, obviously. Of course. And let me tell you, Josh, on uh, BritBox, there's a great British mini six-part series called A Confession that he's the star of that is really, really awesome. Yeah. So that's a lot. I know that was a lot. I just right. wanted to give these guys, like, they're all great. They're all working. You know, uh, uh, literally every actor in here is pretty much working all the time if they want to be. Except one. Uh, Rickman. Well, 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 yeah, because he's dead. But he, yeah. but he was like, I mean, he's like his. Yeah, he's, he's Alan so, Rickman steals every movie that he's, he's in. The I, best, yeah, he really one, is, one of the yeah. best. Right. No, he is great, and and because he he had died, Emma Thompson decided not to be in the uh, the pseudo sequel mm. to do a follow up with her character because she didn't want to yeah. sort of uh, you know dishonor his memory or Rickman whatever. from the greatest of all Christmas movies, Die Hard. Yes, yes. of course. Which we'll um, you, probably cover at one point. On yeah, you think that we'll get to it eventually. It's an amazing film. Yes. Um, you did mention like a ton of people there. I, I just want to mention like two others. Uh, Thomas Brody Sangster, who is the kid. This was his debut as Liam Neeson's stepson and has gone on to, he was on uh, Game of Thrones and he was just recently nominated for an Emmy for The Queen's Gambit. Who did you he know? play on Game of Thrones? Some guy, I don't know. I stopped watching ah, it. Ah, some uh, guy. You know, he was I, I, Georgian something, maybe. I don't know mm. any of their names. Georgian. Yeah, exactly. You watched it. You should know. That's what I'm asking you. Yeah. 
Um, you know, Georgian. But no, but my point being like, you know, he he made a transition yeah, from child acting to adult acting. And and the one person who has a big role in this movie who really didn't become a big, bigger star, uh, Martine McCutcheon, who plays the assistant that the prime minister falls in love with, uh, you know, is is does some TV stuff and and hosting and and was a, a pop singer for a minute. But really, you think it, she would have parlayed this into something bigger. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you on her star prowess though because she seems to be more of a personality but she you know she's still like a huge personality and has had like multiple hit singles multiple hit albums and is in just a ton of television like you said yeah i mean it seems like more as a personality and a host rather than as an actor yeah which is fine no we don't judge but i but i mean i do think she's very charismatic here and she has a lot of chemistry with hugh grant and you think she could have also gone on like Kira Knightley or whatever to do a lot of romantic comedies and and just really she didn't. I got to say this. I think Andrew Lincoln is not good in this movie and he became a much better actor from The Walking Dead on. Yeah, maybe he needed to fall in love with zombies. I will say like watching him in this movie more I think than any of the other actors the contrast for Andrew Lincoln between this movie and the Red Nose Day sequel you're like, wow, does he look different and has aged even almost more than the kid. Well, not just, that's fair. And, and, you know, and Joanna comes back in the sequel. Too. Right, right. But I mean, like Thomas Brody Sangster at 26 just looks like a taller version of himself at 12, I think. Yeah. Um, but, but Andrew, I feel like there's a much more self-confidence in the way he performs at this point in time. Andrew Lincoln. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I, you know, I didn't watch, uh, much of the walking dead, but obviously it's a very different thing. Um, and I just wanted to mention, you know, we talked about how much backlash there is to this film. And I feel like not that it didn't exist before. Obviously, A.O. Scott, for example, right uh, as soon as this came out, hated it. But L- Lindy West, who was a, a critic and author, uh, wrote an article in 2013 for Jezebel, just like ripping this movie apart that went really viral. And I feel like that was one of the like a moment when that backlash kind of went to another level. And um, I, I, I read that article again, and she's very successful. She created the TV show uh, Shrill with A.D. Bryant based on a book that she wrote. But that article is, you, you, if you don't like watching, you think love actually is painful, reading that article is 10 times more Do you painful. have any quotes for us? I didn't want to quote it because I just hated it so oh, much. But it's just so overwritten. And it's so much of a, like, look at me kind of article, like, I don't know. It just, it's the kind of writing that I really dislike and the kind of thing where I'm reading it, even if I agreed with some of the points that she was making about love, actually, she comes off as so smug and condescending mm-hmm. that it just made me want to not agree with her. Made it, did she make it all about herself? Yeah, not, not so much about herself as a person, but about her like superiority to the idiots who would enjoy this movie mm. kind of thing. And the idiots who would make this movie. Bill Nye, he won a BAFTA for this, Josh. Good for him. He yeah, best it. supporting actor. Yeah. That's all I got. On. All right. Well, I think we've really thoroughly covered this Yeah, film we did it. We gave it, uh, yep. Uh, Gina, have you called any of your friends? Yeah, <laughs> get them to come over. <laughs> See what can happen when Jason puts on his fake British accent. Hello, I'm from Johnny Eldingman. I am governor. I think she's going to make me watch the sequel after you guys leave because she didn't know it existed. So. Oh, man. Well, luckily, it's, only it's, it, yeah, it's really short. So, oh, okay. Uh, you'll, it's not really, like, again, it's not really a movie. So yeah, not you'll be fine. Good. And very, very bad. Yes. <laughs> so that is Love Actually. And that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Give us some love on social media. Josh, give us some love on social media. I'm Jason Harris Comedy or Jay Harris Comedy on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I need a new website for Christmas, New Year's, my birthday, Arbor Day, and any other holiday coming up, Flag Day, you know, whatever you need. We have a website called awesomemovieyear.com. You can listen to the stream of that here. We are on social media, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram, Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I am at joshbellhateseverything.com where uh, there might be my uh, one post a year coming up there soon. <laughs> and uh, Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook and at SignalBleed on Twitter. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And also since it's the Christmas season, um, if you want to get us a little gift, 
Spotify just started doing star rankings. So we always ask you to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and all that. Well, now you can do it on Spotify too. So five stars is really nice. Yeah. Do it because of Christmas. Yeah. Yes. Much better than signing up for Dave's Patreon. Yeah, you can do that too, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, give us that gift too. We still have a bonus episode, I think, that's uh, exclusive to Patreon if you yeah. want to sign up for that. It's uh, by David Rosen on Patreon. You can listen to some extra stuff from us. And if you tune in next time, we have, speaking of bonuses, a whole season of bonuses coming up. What is in our next episode, That's Jason? right, Josh. It's a new year. And with that, we are going to look back on all the old years that we covered. Uh, seasons one through nine, all the years that we've looked at, we are going to pick movies we've skipped over that we wanted to cover but didn't fit into the schedule in each of those. So we're going to be jumping around from each of these years and picking some great movies, maybe some not so great movies. But uh, we're going to start with a box office giant, Josh, and a giant, giant film for most people with taste. It's called Smokey and the Bandit from 1977. So tune in next time for the season premiere of our next season with Smokey and the Bandit. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.